This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Again, and welcome to the first edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection for 2023. It is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio, Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. Yes, it's only um, Helen and I here again today. Jan is busy, well, I'll say babysitting, no children sitting, I think. So good luck to her. (laughs) I don't envy her looking after kids. Yeah. Well, we'll begin with just a few snippets from the paper. Snow earlier this month caused schools to be closed for a couple of days, so children donned their hats and jackets and headed for the hills to do a bit of sledging. The bad weather also disrupted ferry and freight vessel schedules. Rain was unsuccessful in dampening the spirits of the Scalloway Fire Festival on its successful return a couple of weeks ago. Geyser Yarl John Magnus Gray led the procession, followed by his squad and others. The Yarl squad led 11 other squads during the procession. Hundreds of people turned out for the first festival since 2020. The Jarl and his squad had already spent the morning and afternoon visiting schools and care homes. Mm, it must great. have been wonderful to be back on the Yeah, it's great that they are back. And yes. I mentioned, well, I was going to mention later on, but I think there is 30, yes, 30 young girls are going to take part in the junior Uphallier procession this year. Wow. So I think this is the first time that mm. um, females have been allowed mm. in the procession. In the procession, yeah. Right. The UK government has announced it will provide £27 million for a new roll-on, roll-off ferry for Fair Isle. News of the investment has been greeted with widespread delight, with council leader Emma Macdonald particularly pleased. She said it was no exaggeration to say the funding had saved Fair Isle as an inhabited island. Delight was expressed that Fair Isle would soon again have a reliable replacement ferry. The current Fair Isle Ferry, the Good Shepherd, the fourth, is almost 40 years old and less than five years from the end of its life. Because it's not, how many people are on um, Fair Isle? It's not very many. Not very many, no. 
But then, of course, it goes up during when the, all the birds arrive. Yeah, well, they haven't it? got the building. No, that's, that's not finished yet. Oh, no, I don't think whether they've even started. I know oh, they were sort of getting goodness. the gear there, but yeah. Yes. Mm. Some wreaths and flowers may be removed from graveyards as the council prepares for the grass-cutting season. Those who wish to collect the tributes to loved ones are asked to collect them if they want to keep them. The Shetland Island Council said the burial services team is preparing for this year's grass cutting season beginning on the 1st of February and will remove and dispose of any material which isn't in a suitable container. Where no permanent memorial exists, council staff will endeavour to leave one funeral wreath in the memorial area until such time as it significantly deteriorates. Yeah. Mm. I said grass cutting. Oh, I said to you before, you know, the snowdrops are popping up, and I thought, oh, if the snowdrops are popping up, our winter's not far off, is it? <laughs> right. Inspector Sam Greeson's latest report to Lewick Community Council said that over the last two months, multiple packages of drugs worth £27,500 had been seized with the help of dogs against drugs. He said postal deliveries still appear to be the popular way of sourcing drugs locally. And those drug dogs in, uh, in Shetland seem to be doing a jolly good job, and in Orkney too. Yeah. Right, yeah, yes, yeah, that's yeah. good. Mm, it is. Yes. Yeah. I've watched programmes showing them in Australia. Mm. In mm. But it's, I just think it's so sad, the islands are so small, and to have yes, a drug problem, you know. exactly. Yeah. It is mm. sad. Mm. Did you know that it is 94 years, barring COVID, since one of Orkney's worst emergencies, the Stronsay polio epidemic of 1929. There was a total of 17 cases of the disease, 11 of them among children under 15, and four fatalities, a 14-year-old girl and three young men, aged 16, 21 and 26. Orkney's Medical Officer of Health, Dr Walter Bannerman, ordered the closure of one school and introduced other restrictions, which fortunately helped to contain the epidemic before the start of the hearing season. Wild polio virus has been eliminated in New Zealand, but there has been an increase in activity in areas where previously it had been eliminated, like New York, Israel, London and Indonesia. Doctors in New Zealand are concerned following a massive dip in childhood vaccinations mm. during think, our lockdown episodes. Yeah, yes. but I think this is the problem. Um, the young parents of today don't realise about these diseases no. and how bad they were. No. And they just don't, They've yeah. never seen somebody with it or... Yeah, yeah, with polio and family. measles is bad enough. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. I can remember having them myself yeah. mm. <laughs> before vaccinations, yeah. Now, over the years, Orkney has played host to many famous visitors, and thanks to the columns of the Orcadian since 1854, there's been no doubt about the veracity of the visits. For instance, Prime Ministers Gladstone, Asquith, Churchill and Thatcher all visited the country, as did Poet Laureate Alfred Lord Tennyson. Queen Marie of Romania visited Kirkwall with her daughter, Princess Elena, son Prince Stefan and the Archduke Anton on July the 19th, 1933. She was following in her family's footsteps by visiting Orkney, for in January 1882, 
Her father, the Duke of Edinburgh, was granted the freedom of Kirkwall. Mm. During the two world wars, Orkney entertained and was entertained by many visiting stars of stage and screen, including Gracie Fields and Evelyn Lay. Equally famous was a visitor in 1970, Paul McCartney, who travelled through the country with his wife Linda and two daughters. They had crossed from Scrabster to Stromness by fishing boat and were then driven by Steve Ormond in a hire car to Corkwell Airport, where they chartered a Logan airplane to take them to Shetland. Another VIP visitor to Orkney in 1970 was the round-the-world yachtsman, Sir Alec Rose. But of all the visitors to Orkney, only one can claim the distinction of going to the moon. American astronaut Commander John Young has visited Orkney twice, in 1993 to take part in the 60th anniversary celebrations of the Orkney Air Age, and again three years later to take part in the Orkney Science Festival. The late Queen Elizabeth visited three times, and King Charles, as Prince Charles, visited not long ago. Yes, I think it was just earlier last year. Mm. And, of course, I have visited Orkney over 20 times. So, Gosh, you know, that must be the most of any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just can't remember. It might yeah. be 22, 23. I'm just Incredible, not sure. Incredible, Yeah, I've lost yes. count. Yeah. <laughs> Paister has a husband to work for an airline, you see. Yes. <laughs> right. Now, the Hudson Bay Company looked after Native Indians for 200 years until the Canadian government took over. The HBC considered it their duty to do so. The decrease in the number of buffalo was a great concern. The Hudson's Bay Company was founded in May 1670, a fur trading company for much of its existence. Today, the HBC owns and operates retail stores throughout Canada and the United States. It operated as a de facto government in parts of North America before European states and later the USA laid claim to some of their territories. It was at one time the largest landowner in the world, which that quite surprised me. Mm. It controlled the fur trade in North America for several centuries. It had a network of trading posts. With the decline of the fur trade, they started selling vital goods to settlers and prospectors. The last Hudson's Bay Company ship called in Stromness in 1891. They usually called into Stromness because there was a well there where they got fresh water from. Oh, right. And any provisions, yeah. Mm. Um, and in 1779, Orcadians made up 416 of the 530 on the company's overseas payroll. Wow. And it's always the saying, a shoe fly don't bother me, I belong to the HBC. <laughs> yes. John J. Graham, 1921-2008, to 2008, was from Tingwall and lived in Lerwick. Former English teacher, head teacher of Lerwick Central Secondary and then Anderson High School. Former counsellor, scholar, writer and outstanding promoter of the dialect. He was co-author with T.A. Robertson of Grammar and Usage of the Shetland Dialect, 1952, reprinted 1991. Co-editor with T.A. Robertson of Norden Lux Dialect Poetry and Prose Anthology, 1964. Compiled the Shetland Dictionary, 1979. Third edition, revised 2009. 
author of A History of Education in Shetland, A Vehement Thirst After Knowledge, 1998, Shetland Humour, 2002, reprinted 2014, and two novels, Shadowed Valley, 1987, and Strife in the Valley, 1992. He co-edited the New Shetlander magazine from 1956 to 1998, together with his brother Lawrence Graham. The Graham brothers also edited the poetry volume, A Shetland Anthology, 1998. How incredible. Yeah. I'd love to see that. The couple of fellows. Yeah, the book of Shetland humour. Yeah. <laughs> that might be quite humorous. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> be well, been reprinted in 2014. Yeah, so yes. Yeah, so, perhaps yeah. we'd better check our uh, our library. We yeah. might have it there. Oh, don't, don't, I haven't, don't think so. I haven't seen it. But anyhow, yeah, we have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we might still be able to buy it um, yes. through the Shetland Times. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, we'll have a look. Yeah. <laughs> Right, now, human remains found. While some workmen who are engaged repairing the main manor house of Windhouse were removing some debris from the back of the house, they came upon the skeleton of a human being. It had apparently been that of a man of large stature, as the bones measured fully six feet long. It was lying in the position it had been put down, the arms folded over the breast. It was only a small distance under the ground, and there was no evidence of there ever being a coffin, which gave rise to the opinion that it had been murder. But if it has, it, it is not in the memory of any of the inhabitants, nor does any remember any person ever being missed. Mm, a fascinating recording recounts the story of a scribe who counted 20 builders arriving to rebuild the house in 1801. He noticed that only 19 men left, and when he mentioned this, he was dismissed as talking rubbish. <laughs> the story goes that the night the men finished up, they got drunk. One was killed in a fight, and the others removed a door, lifted the door stone, dug a hole, and packed the man into it. In Mr. Gordon's time, men repairing the door dug down and removed the skeleton of a large man who was supposed to have been haunting the house. Some say that the man stopped haunting Windhouse after his bones were removed. <laughs> the that ghost... would be so, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The ghost of a servant girl has been seen climbing an invisible set of steps in the property, while a spectre of a collie dog also has been observed. In the early 1900s, two men who repaired a window in the house took off a nailed-up shutter and a bundle fell on the floor. It was a child's skeleton wrapped in a sheepskin. The gatehouse to this haunted ruin is now a camping bod where the bravest of you can sleep for the night, should you wish. Have you ever had the courage to visit Windhouse yourself? Sounds like a place you wouldn't want to go to in a hurry, actually. that's right. (laughs) Yes. Now, is that on Shetland, or is it in Orkney? Actually, I'm just not sure. Yes. Yeah. It'll be Shetland, it'll be Shetland, wouldn't it? Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to look into it. Mm. Mm. Luna Kirk is the oldest working Kirk in Shetland, thought to have been built in the 11th century, and is of great historical, architectural and spiritual importance. It has undergone multiple remodellings and renovations. 
A single nave rural style, it has supportive wooden columns inside to support the inverted V-shaped roof. The interior offers lovely wood panelling and an upper gallery along with a beautiful wooden pulpit. There is an exterior staircase to reach the gallery and a leper's squint or small window that allowed lepers to attend services without contaminating the rest of the congregation. Gosh, that means that they were outside peeping mm. in. Mm. Be jolly cold, cold in the winter, winter time. Yeah. In 1925, it was given to the Church of Scotland to be held in trust for the local community, but as part of a plan that has deprived so many other communities of their local churches, the Church of Scotland is planning to deconsecrate it and sell it off privately. And mm. it's not the only one they are deconsecrating quite a few right, churches. Right, right. But, but this is such an old one. They must Actually, if this. you go online, that, that pulpit is absolutely beautiful. It's right. sort of round and it's got purple drapery around right. it. It's beautiful. Yes, yeah. I'll have mm. a look. Mm. Luna is so remote that there is only one other building there. The, the stunning Luna house built in the shape of a cross. The house played a pivotal role in the wartime operation known as the Shetland Bus, when it provided as a discreet base from which the organisation was run. This dangerous and highly successful operation ran for many years during the Second World War, covertly ferrying saboteurs and espionage equipment into occupied Norway and bringing refugees back safely to Shetland saving countless lives and tying up thousands of German troops in the process. People still come from all over the world to visit the house and pay their respects at the Kirk, where several young Norwegian sailors who lost their lives working on the operation are buried. Mm. David Howarth was deeply involved in the running of the Shetland bus, and after the war he wrote the book of the same name. He loved Luna, and he has a memorial stone in the Kirkyard, and at his request, his ashes were interred in Luna Vaux. He is the reason why his son is so passionate about saving Luna Kirk. Mm. He was his much-loved father. Mm. Yes, I've read the book. Wonderful. I haven't read it. I've yes. got it. I've got it at home. Mm. But um, I think it actually came from my father. So, mm. yeah, one day I'll sit down and read it. Better not leave it too long, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, this is Zetland, Lerwick, December the 4th, the mid-1800s, and it was about, eight, well, between 1834 and 1850. This notice was in the newspaper. The Duke of Richmond steamer arrived in Lerwick yesterday morning after a fine passage from Aberdeen, though she had a very rough one going there. Singular to the state, she brought us a rare sort of importation, namely four youths for confinement in our jail. They belong to Orkney, were tried for robbery at the High Court and were sent down here to suffer their punishment on account of the overstocked state of Kirkwall Prison. Doesn't say much for Orkney, does it? No. <laughs> the prison was full. Um, three of them are sentenced to nine months and the other to 15 months. They appear to have been unprepared for solitary confinement for when put into separate cells, they burst out into loud weeping. The new prison in Fort Charlotte is very comfortable, being well heated and clean, so that on this score they can have no complaint, though otherwise their extreme youthfulness and other circumstances make their case not a little deplorable. 
The event has caused considerable talk here. Some say that it is not fair to make Fort Charlotte a penal settlement. Others that our prison is small enough only for local delinquents. And others that youths should have been sent to Papa Stone, where the Honourable Edwin Lindsay was for six and twenty years, or else sent to Walesay, a place said to be eminent for learning good manners. <laughs> and I did look, try and look up Papa Stone, but I didn't... Mm. Papa Store came up. Yes, surely it's Papa Yeah, Store. but Papa Stone didn't. And the Honourable Edwin Lindsay, I couldn't find him on the internet either. So, oh, really? Yes, I don't know why he was kept for six and twenty years. Yes. <laughs> but yes. someone else looking may have more luck. Yeah. Right. Mm. Mm. Now, this from the Genealogical Society of Queensland Incorporated, 1988. Orkney's sole Australian convict. Over the last year or two, many Canadians, Australians, New Zealanders and visitors from mainland Britain have called along Dundas Street in Stromness trying to find help in tracing their Orkney roots. None more so than the Australians who this year celebrate the bicentenary of the founding of the British colony and recently welcomed the Prince and Princess of Wales to start the celebration year. Much interest is being generated in convicts and their origins. Whereas previously, few Australians wanted to admit admit relationship to such infamous ancestors, it would appear now that to be descended from a murderer, sheep stealer or even an embezzler is an honour and prestige symbol. Unfortunately for the Australian contingent of visitors, There is no possibility of an Orkney convict unless there is a direct link with a certain William Sinclair, postmaster of Stromness in 1851, the only Orcadian to suffer the fate of transportation. By today's standards, the punishment could hardly be said to fit the crime. (laughs) Yes, it is amazing now how all the Australians are quite proud Mm. to have a convict in their um, Mm. ancestors, yes. In March 1852, Mr Sinclair was tried before the Lord Collinsay in Cohen at the High Court, charged with seven counts of embezzling and secreting letters with the purpose of stealing the postage money. The alleged offences took place in the June and July of the previous year. The prosecution submitted that a letter dated the 20th of June 1851 and addressed to a Mr James Langscale, care of Mr Thomas Brown, Horsefield Street in St John's, New Brunswick, and posted at the Strumness Post Office where a postage rate of one and tuppence was paid. On the same day, a letter addressed to John F. Lutet, sailor, care of Hume, NYEC, Erie County, Buffalo, America, at the rate of a shilling, had also been posted at the same office. Other letters to Oregon Territory, Port Phillip, Australia, William Croy Mason, to be called for. Thomas Stanger, shoemaker, Port Adelaide, Immigration Office, South Australia and John Rendell. Seamen on board the American ship Hudson, Gibraltar to be called for, also never arrived. The checking procedure on missing letters would appear to have been more efficient than today, bearing in mind the time the letters would have taken to reach their destinations anyway, as the accused was trapped by the end of the year. 
the authorities posted fake letters which never reached their destinations. Mm. Having pleaded guilty and despite a reference of good character from the local minister presented in mitigation as well as an honest record during the 10 years service he had given the Stromnes post office, he was sentenced to seven years transportation to Australia. The total amount stolen appears to have been between one and two pounds. There is no record of his return from his sentence. With no possibility of such skeletons in the convict cupboard for Canadians and New Zealanders, their great hope of connections of note lies with the Vikings and the Royal House of Stuart. Several interesting claims to fame have come my way, ranging from a Harvey, who claimed that he was the Laird of Pomona when he reached Canada, to a James de Croix, who had high hopes of descent from the House of Stuart when he reached New Zealand. Most expatriates, however, are simply interested in tracing back to their basic Orkney origins, be they high or low. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have come to the end of the first programme for 2023. I hope you have enjoyed it and will join us again next month. Cheerio for now. Bye. Listen to us in February. (laughs) 